I'm more than willing to, to go a rough battle to get to health, wealth, and happiness. But I, I am not willing to destroy my family on the way to that journey. Hello and welcome. You are on the journey. My name is Neville D'Angelo, hosting part two of our Modern Family series. Our guests are two remarkable dads, Dr. David Jenkins and Mr. Bruce Carter. While I'm on my way to their gorgeous home, allow me to pose a few open questions. Are you a parent? Or are you planning to be a parent? What kind of parent are you? Or what kind of parent are you planning to be? How are you going about this awesome responsibility? When you think about it, so it, it's kind of, you know, you kind of peel it back. It's those choices of what do you want out of life and what obstacles are there that will stop you from doing that. So there are obstacles in each of these. Is there an obstacle that's going to keep you from doing what you truly want to do? Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, here's the thing from my point of view. I happen to think that parenting is the most awesome human responsibility. I also realize that from the dawn of human existence, contiguous to this very moment, the parenting experience has been the second most prevalent interactivity. So it makes me think this. If there's anything human have had every opportunity to be perfect at, parenting would be right up there, second to the top. My question then is, are we? And what has been learned over the stretch of humanity that ought to make parenting today the best that ever existed? Now, that's not what the segment is about, but perhaps some of you might have the answer to that question. This segment is about the modern family. These two remarkable dads have invited me into their home to share their personal story. They are frank and forthright. I think it's going to be instructive. I have a backpack full of questions. Most of you probably know I enjoy a good game or two or three or four. So whilst in their company, we are going to play a game. I hope you get ready to play too. So go ahead, put on your thinking caps. <laughs> now that guy seems to be in a hurry. 
Maybe he's hurrying home to join the journey. Ladies and gentlemen, here I am. I asked David and Bruce to tell us a little about themselves. We'll hear from the professor first. I am a father of four. I have triplets that are 19, about to turn 20. Um, I have a son that is seven and a half. He'd probably tell us, close to a half. Um, there's they're sophomores in, um, at TCU, and our son is in first grade. I am a uh, professor of social work um, at Texas Christian University. I'm chair of the department, and I'm head of the graduate program there. Um, got my undergrad in business administration. Uh, worked for my dad for many years in a family um, gas and oil business. Went back, um, reshaped my career, went back into social work, and went on to get my uh doctorate at Florida State University. And surprise, surprise, I also have four children. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, that, that kind of defines who I am, you know, particularly in this point in my life and, and for quite a few years now. Um, but uh, again, I I grew up in Texas, so I spent most of my life in Texas, even though I was born in an Air Force base in Massachusetts. Um, as far as my education, who I am. So a lot of my early years, um, you know, into my 20s was defined by being, you know, part of the Seventh-day Adventist church and attending Seventh-day Adventist schools mm -hmm. um, and started working very early to help pay for the tuition to those to those schools. Um, so, um, you know, went to a university not too far from my home mm -hmm. and earned a degree in radio and television. Which um, university? The University of Texas at Arlington. Oh, okay. And um, so, but ended up not working in that field. I yes. <laughs> actually work for American Airlines, um, which is the dominant carrier here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, and have worked for them for 26 years. Mm. Uh, had incredible amounts of opportunities. Started as a reservations agent and, and now manager of decision support for the cargo division for American Airlines, um, and you know during that time been able to achieve a lot as you know as far as career wise. Also, one of my dreams, you know, from an education background was to earn a master's degree. So um, during that time, I earned an, an MBA at Texas Christian University um, in 2005, um, and. Now, really, my time is consumed with my family, and but also, you know, work takes a lot of time as well. So, you know, staying ahead of the curve with a lot of the things that are happening in my industry and a lot of the changes that are happening in my industry and, and with my company, um, but also just being conscientious of being a good family member and a great dad. Now, how did the two of you guys meet? Um, we both were members of the Turtle Creek Corral, which is an all-men's gay course, and mostly gay course, and 99.5% course. Mm -hmm. And, um, and um, we were in a smaller group um, for a Christmas uh, production. Mm -hmm. um, so this choir has 200, 250 men in it, mm -hmm. and you really will meet mm -hmm. some really interesting people, but 
fat chance you're going to meet everybody in there. And I had seen Bruce, but didn't really know his name, didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. I actually saw him playing tennis one time Mm -hmm. um, when we were on a trip. And somebody said, oh, he's a hottie. And I said, yes, he is. But I still didn't know his name. I still didn't know his name. And um, like six months later, we were in that uh, group together, and I overheard him talking about tennis, and I turned to him and said, uh, do you play tennis? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, do you really play tennis? And I said, he goes, yes, I do. And I said, well, we should go play tennis sometime. Mm -hmm. So we did. And we went to play tennis, and it turned into a date. And we've been together, what, 11 years now? Mm -hmm. 11 years now. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So tennis is... A big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I skunked him the first time we played. Once that you skunked him. That's good. Now, um, earlier we, I, I was trying to determine whether to refer to you as partner or spouse. Um, um, you've been married for how long? Since um, July 3rd, 2008. Mm-hmm. We got married in California during the window of time when they had legal... The summer of love. Yeah, <laughs> when they had legal uh, marriage in California for same-sex couples, and we flew out to Palm Springs and um, brought the family and were married there. Wonderful. And so we've been married ever since. But let's first uh, touch base on, on titles. Partner, spouse, <laughs> husband. How, how do you guys explain it to us? Uh, how you go about this? I'm uncomfortable with any of the titles. I just I prefer to use I I wouldn't even say prefer. I generally use partner. I don't even think to use husband or spouse. Mm-hmm. I just say partner. But husband or spouse doesn't make me flinch or anything. Mm-hmm. So why do you think it's not more natural for you to say partner? What, what that's what we were for longer. Oh, okay. That's so. what I was used to. So you know you think of I think of spouse as actually being married. So mm-hmm. after we were married, you know, we were, we were kind of long in the tooth. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, was, I was already, I was already set in my ways, Paul Paul. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, if we're talking, we were married five years ago, you know, I was, I was in my forties and, you know, had been partner mm-hmm. for all of that time. So just getting that ship to turn around and there really wasn't any reason necessarily for it to turn around you know we are what we are um but like i said i'm comfortable with any of them i just i just tend to use partner now david you look at it slightly differently don't you I do yeah. well i was married to a woman for 13 years and mm-hmm. so i was husband spouse in that relationship and i want this relationship to feel equally as valuable and as important mm-hmm. and so i'm husband spouse in my head and that's the way I want to refer to it. And I think there's a little part of me that's um, in your face, and mm-hmm. I want to watch you squirm if I say spouse. Um, <laughs> so sometimes I sort of enjoy watching someone go, what, spouse? He's your spouse, what? I'm like, yeah, deal with it, you know, or something. And I'm so about me that I don't really think about <laughs> <laughs> other people. It's just, this is the way I speak. These are the terms that I use. I don't, I don't think about it that way. You are on the journey. This is part two of our series on the modern family. Our guests are Dr. David Jenkins, professor and department chair at TCU, and Mr. Bruce Carter, manager of American Airlines, both 
parents of four kids. So here's a question for these two dads. What do you do when your expected baby arrives way early? As Bruce indicated, when he, we first got together, he's like, I want kids. I'm like, oh, great, because uh, I had triplets from a previous marriage, and uh, the girls were eight and a half, and I had them about half of the time, right. and their mother had them the other half of the time. He was helping me raise the girls, mm-hmm. and um, he kept saying, I want children, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, because I'm, you know, raising triplets is hard. It's a lot of work, and it's pretty consuming. And so, um, I didn't think we would really have another one. And he kept pushing and pushing and pushing um, about moving forward with having kids. And um, we talked about the idea of foster care, um, a foster child, and possibly foster to adopt mm-hmm. kind of options. And um, so that's where we went, went head through. Hope Cottage in Dallas. Um, we found out that they would include gay couples mm-hmm. in their pool of applicants, and um, we talked to them, and they did, they told us that we'd probably have better chances of getting a child if we did the foster to adopt program. Mm-hmm. So we went through to be certified and approved as parents in the foster to adopt program. About the time we finished that, um, we got a call that a woman. Um, what? No, you're shaking your head. So we were approved for that in August. Right. And then in December. Okay. Well, to me, it's not very far apart. <laughs> <laughs> to him, to him, we need to say it was three months later. Okay. Well, and, and I guess, you know, it's a part of that. Because I was in graduate school at the time. Right. And, you know, it was in my last year of graduate what were school. Studying? I was earning an MBA. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Where are we getting at? Texas Christian University. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I was at graduate school at the time. And, it, you know, if we talk about goals and things, these are some of the things that I saw myself doing and some of the goals, mm-hmm. some of the things that I wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. So I was coming to the end of that journey of earning my master's degree mm-hmm. and saying, okay, if we do this, we're getting older, I want to do it now. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was pushing for, you know, a child at that time. Mm-hmm. And also I was naive enough to think, oh, I can do school and have a baby at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the universe knew better. And that's mm-hmm. why my son was born a few days after I actually graduated. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we were approved, you know, through our home study and finishing all the courses with Hope Cottage mm-hmm. um, in August of 2005. Mm-hmm. And then um, while we were in California celebrating you know, I having graduated, having finished graduate school, you get a call, you know, here's a baby boy, he fits your profile, he was born yesterday, are you interested? <laughs> and what was really odd about that whole thing was, so instead of being in the uh, foster to adopt program, this child is a brand new baby boy born, mm-hmm. and they're asking us if we want to be considered now, not in the foster adopt program, but in the traditional adoption plan, mm-hmm. that his mother was a lesbian mm-hmm. and had given birth and wanted to place her child with a gay couple, uh-huh. and she actually, her top preference was a lesbian couple. There were none. We were the only gay couple in the pot, mm-hmm. so to speak. She wanted a interracial couple, which we are. She wanted tennis playing parents. She wanted musicians. She wanted highly educated parents. And she wanted siblings for her child. So when she named her list of what she wanted for her baby, we matched in every single category for her. And so we got that call, and we're like, oh, my God, look at this. Can you believe? And we had to frantically get together a letter of intent through the adoption process, you write a letter to the mother telling mm-hmm. them why mm-hmm. she should um, decide to give her baby to you. Mm-hmm. And 
place make the placement because it's an open adoption. We meet the mother and the whole thing, mm-hmm. and she hands us the child mm-hmm. and the whole bit. Mm-hmm. And so we frantically are in Palm Springs, I mm-hmm. think, at that time again. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm such a nerd that I brought my laptop, so I was <laughs> able to write the letter and send pictures of our family and email them to the agency. Yeah. And we had it, and we flew home, and she selected us out of the three families that, or whatever that they presented to her. She uh, selected us, and um, we got Eric the next weekend or the day. It was over Christmas, so they were closed, so we couldn't get the holidays. He was six days old when he came home. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, take me to that moment when the baby is in your hands. Now, and 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 and, and I'm looking at it from you never had a child before, you mm-hmm. desperately wanted one, or. Uh, I don't know if desperate is the right word, but you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Pretty close. <laughs> You're pretty, desperate. pretty close, though. No. He's not desperate, but he longed, no. he had a longing no. for a child of his own. Because one thing we had talked a great deal about was he had always felt like stepdad. Mm-hmm. That I was really dad mm-hmm. in with the girls, mm-hmm. and that he never really felt like dad. He was always the step parent, mm-hmm. and he really, really wanted to be dad. Right. And that's one of the reasons to this day Eric calls him daddy and calls me papa because mm-hmm. he wanted to be daddy. Mm-hmm. And um, so we came up, or Bruce came up with these names, or saw it in a movie or something. <laughs> I can't remember how you found the daddy papa names, but. Uh, Anyway, it was very, very important him to be dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, so I, 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 and so I'm going to come for the, what that feeling is like. On the other hand, you had three girls, no. right? Mm-hmm. And now you're you're having a fourth child, right? At so, 44 years old or whatever I was, and I was like, oh my God, I should be his grandfather, <laughs> not his, not his dad. And I was very freaked out because I mean, I had the girls were now 13 or something like that. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, I've got 13 year olds and now I'm going to have a baby. I'm sort of starting over again. Mm-hmm. I've done this. I know how to raise a baby. I can handle it. But, you know, do I have the energy, the reserves, the tank, you know, to make it happen? That was a big question for me at the time. But for you, that wasn't the question, was it? No. Um, you know, I, I guess I, I saw it, thought a bit differently because I always knew that I wanted to have a family. So mm-hmm. it wasn't even necessarily I want to be daddy because I was stepdad. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, David and Lisa are both very involved parents. They're mm-hmm. actually wonderful parents. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about parenting from being around David. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think for me it was just more of I did. I wanted a Carter child. and But it wasn't because I had met David and the girls. Mm-hmm. That was just something that I always thought that would happen for me. Is that but now the baby's children. in your hand. To take mm-hmm. me to that moment. Um, it was interesting because we had waited around, you know, we were there for quite a while in the morning mm-hmm. at, the the day, at the adoption agency because it, you meet the birth mother mm-hmm. and talk through kind of your hopes and dreams for the child mm-hmm. and, you know, have discussions with her. We talked about naming. She had given him a name. I wanted to give him another name. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I explained to her why, why we wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting to the point where everyone was kind of tired and hungry. So David and the girls went to get something to eat and I'm there with the baby and I have to change a diaper. (laughs) It was just, it was, it was a bit surreal because everything happened so quickly. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, he was born on the 21st. We got the call on the 22nd. Mm -hmm. We were chosen as his family on the 23rd. Mm -hmm. And 
on the 27th, I am changing this baby's diaper. <laughs> we, did, we did not have a crib ready, you know, anything when we got the call. We were expecting to get a five-year-old. We were expecting to get a three-year-old or something right. and have plenty of warning that we right. would have this child visit right. and maybe, you know, be foster parents too and then finally adopt. We, or I at least, was not in the mindset we're getting a brand new infant right. that will be, you know, with us permanently. And uh, so we went through the adoption process because of the Texas laws. Bruce had to adopt Eric by himself, mm-hmm. and that was a painful discussion that we had. Um, but it, back to the law, and so we did it. And um, to fast forward, we then uh, allowed me to become second parent adoption through the Texas courts. We maneuvered. <laughs> well, the I would say though, I mean, there's in Texas, there's not a law that says that you can't that gay couples cannot adopt. So at the time we probably could have both jointly adopted, um, but I don't you think, think that, we knew. Do you think that judge would have allowed it? Well, I didn't. We didn't know at the time that was going to be our judge. So you know, you just I don't know. I just thought this is the smoothest path. This mm-hmm. is this is the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were very upfront and very honest about mm-hmm. that. That's very important to me mm-hmm. to make sure that they understood we are a gay couple. We are a family. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, we do want to go through the second parent adoption mm-hmm. process, which we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one of the things that's very irritating about Texas is that while it's not a law, there's more of a, a health regulation in, in mm-hmm. Texas that says if you have if your parents are of the same gender, you both cannot be on the birth certificate. Mm-hmm. It's very silly. So we're both his parents, mm-hmm. but only one of us can be on the birth certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as saying explicitly that it's illegal for two people of the same gender to adopt a child, that's not the case in Texas. So it's a bit murky, murky, mm-hmm. and I think the you know it's at the judge's discretion. So the judge that we had for the initial you know. You, you go six months and then you go for finalization of an adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, the judge that we had at finalization, in hindsight, I don't know what she would have done had we come as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later, as we went through the second parent adoption process, mm-hmm. uh, the judge was wonderful and very kind and mm-hmm. you know was excited about you know us. This but child we, having we also a second learned parent. how we can shop for a judge and. Mm-hmm. And you can ask for a different court and a different judge, and we figured out some of that maneuvering that helped us to have well, less resistance. Well, the lawyer did. We did. Yeah, lawyer we did nothing. So it isn't, it isn't necessarily the judge in the district where you live. You can look right. for... Right. There's mm-hmm. multiple judges in the family court in Dallas, and mm-hmm. so um, you can maneuver the, the through the different the, judges. Well, I mean, the, the lawyer chose. Yeah, right. Now, now, now the, 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 that's about six months you mentioned mm-hmm. between having that baby and having a full adoption. Mm-hmm. During that time, did they allow you to have the baby, or was the baby? Oh, oh yeah, he lived with us. Yeah. So, so he lived with Yeah, he came at six days old. He was home, so he was actually. We lived down the street in a house down the street right. when he was born. Right. So, and the other thing, the, the second parent adoption, where I became a legal parent for him, didn't happen until two years later, or three years later. Yeah, mm-hmm. close to when he was three. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we went through that court system, and now we're both legal parents, even though Bruce is only one listed on the birth certificate. We all know that parenting is an awesome responsibility. How did you negotiate from that point to where you are now? I think, you know, in the beginning, it was very eye-opening for me. So I thought, 
you know, we can afford a nanny and our child, you know, everything's going to be sunshine and, you know, starry nights. Um, you know, and then it came to the reality. So he was born, you know, around Christmas. And so he came home after Christmas. And where I work, I usually take vacation, you know, until the new year. Mm. So one of the things that was a bit of a struggle was that I didn't have maternity leave, uh. you know. <laughs> and so I, I couldn't, I didn't have that time off that I could take. And I was I was wary of taking family leave because I didn't want to use all of that time, you know, when he's two weeks old, when he may get ill at two, three months old or sometime during the year when I, when I really would need that time. Well, l- 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 let, me, let, me, let me go back to the maternity leave. Obviously, you didn't have maternity leave because you weren't uh, um, the maternal right. parent. But I, I'm, I, did you also mean that that kind of leave would not have been afforded to you if you knew a child was coming in the way as well? Is there more to it? I think that's just a, you know, different company policies for adoptive parents. Right. So, you know, and I had a a woman that I'd worked with years before, but found out later that she was also, she'd been trying to work with the company to Mm -hmm. say, my children are adopted and I do need time to spend with them, especially with us, with a newborn, Mm -hmm. um, to spend time with him, not just to bond with him, but, you know, the newborn can't be in care outside of the home until he's six weeks old. Right, right. So we just needed that time. Right. Um, and so I was very fortunate to have a director who was flexible. Mm. And so she allowed me to take off a bit more time. Um, and then it, toward the end, toward the four and five weeks, I think he was going to TCU with David. Right. <laughs> and David was teaching with him and either a little bouncer or in a little pouch, you know. I have one, one of those little strap-on really? things. Really? <laughs> I, taught, I taught classes with him. Any pictures? Strapped on me. No, no sorry. <laughs> I don't think I have any. Um, but that was really the reality of it. We couldn't get him in daycare until he was six weeks six or so. old. And so classes started and Bruce was back at work. And so I needed to take him with me. And I taught classes with my little baby strapped on me. And uh, Tell us about that. So the, so you, you ha- you're teaching a class. Mm-hmm. You have a baby mm-hmm. with you. What's the reaction of the students? <laughs> well, I warned them that there, this would have to happen for a while. And mm-hmm. they were like, that's fine. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little bouncy sleep, a bouncy chair that played a little soft music. Right. And the students said, "We don't mind. It just makes us very sleepy when we bouncy chair." So um, he would coo and make noises, and occasionally I'd have to feed him while I was lecturing or mm-hmm. while something was happening. But for the most part, he was a pretty exemplary uh, little baby. Yeah. Uh, no, no, the the university didn't mind you doing that. I I didn't ask. Um, I just <laughs> did what I needed to do. I had been there for you know, 15 years at the time, or for 14 years, and I was tenured, and I, I, I think I told my department chair that I needed to do this for a while, and she was very supportive. I didn't go to the full right. length right. of the university to... And it was only a short while. It was, you're talking a week or two, wasn't yeah. it? No, but this is so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a funny little moment to have a infant strapped on you and teaching yeah. so and it's so funny because I actually took him in the sling to work and, and you know people would say is there a baby in there <laughs> yes he's right here but what happens next yeah. so um, you know like I said I think I, I put an advertisement in the TCU paper mm-hmm. you know hoping either a, uh, hoping actually a, a spouse of a divinity student for instance mm-hmm. um, would want to be a nanny and we didn't get any response why a divinity so, student 
That's what we had done when the triplets were babies. Um, uh-huh. We were both professors, and yeah. we knew um, that the cost of a nanny would be almost less than uh, three children in daycare, mm. and we could keep them in our home. They'll have their own environment, their own cribs, and we could feel a little more secure in their care. Mm. And so um, Bright Divinity is associated with uh, TCU. Oh. It's not controlled by them, but many divinity male divinity students bring their spouses with them mm-hmm. um, Southwestern Baptist Seminary, there's another seminary in Fort Worth also. So these seminary spouses come with their often husbands who are going to school and they don't have anything to do. And so there's a, we had been told that there was an option to get a nanny mm-hmm. through those kind of ways. And right. so that's one thing Bruce and I tried to look into early on was could we do the nanny thing and that didn't work. And so we found daycare, but it couldn't, you know, he has to wait to get his shots and the six week period mm-hmm. is up. And so then we were able to um, bring him to daycare. Mm. So, so how, how long did he stay in daycare? He, he stayed in daycare until kindergarten started. Until so he was a, a day program or half day program, whatever it was. It was a full day program. So we were fortunate. We actually went to several. We asked neighbors for recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the first thing that we tried was uh, someone's home daycare. So mm-hmm. she just kept a few children, mm-hmm. um, but she was full. So someone highly recommended her. And then they recommended a few churches that had daycare programs. And one of the churches was a Methodist church mm-hmm. um, just on, on the campus of TCU, right right on the edge of the TCU campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they had a wonderful um, female associate pastor who was also in charge of uh, the daycare center. And mm-hmm. she was... She was incredibly supportive and, and wonderful. You and know, Pastor Rachel and yeah, didn't care that we were gay and all that kind of stuff. Because that was one of our worries was, you know, how will these places accept us as a couple, as mm-hmm. parents, and how will our child be treated? Mm-hmm. And we found a great place and we're very comfortable. Yeah, and and so he was in the same daycare. There was there was a little while. Well, um, we'll talk, we can talk about too when when you were actually at another university mm. um, for a program that he had been accepted to. That's very proud of. But um, he was gone for a semester, and so I had to pull him out of that daycare to have him nearer to where I worked. Mm. Um, but uh, besides that one semester, he had been at that daycare from six weeks old until you know he went to kindergarten. And so we developed, you know, relationships with those parents that we still have. So, you know, we're still that little core group. And I, I don't think all daycares do that. Um, it's still that little core group. So, for instance, last summer um, we had a play date where we got all of the kids together that went to that daycare in that class and went through that class together and had a swim party at our house. And, and we still remain friends with, with all of those parents. So we became a pretty close-knit group. We even... You know, at at one point, um, Pastor Rachel took an, another position out out of town, mm-hmm. and so they hired a new director. And she, I think, you know, David had taught a relative of this director, but you know, he had a wonderful relationship with her. And mm-hmm. I think she, the tipping point for her for accepting that position was at having talked to David. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. So we were a very well-known family, mm-hmm. you know, at the daycare and very involved and, and just part yeah. of their family. The nature of our arrangement, we had, we're living in we're living in Dallas at the time, but mm-hmm. I brought Eric with me to, to to Fort Worth, and he is in daycare right next to my office. Mm-hmm. So I was in charge of bringing him to daycare, picking him up from daycare. So I was sort of the visible force at the daycare center, mm-hmm. um, and I was, you know, always... 
mindful of how are we being accepted. Remember, I don't worry how other people think. And so I'm, I'm wanting to know that we're included and accepted, and we really were. I think some may have struggled, but for the vast majority of people, the parents were very accepting of us and, you know, got past any kind of concerns they had about a gay couple being in the daycare, and um, our child was just another one of the kids. Now, you, you must have had to learn a lot of lessons on the job, as it sort of speak. So, so, well, tell, tell us about that. What was your first set of lessons learning as a parent? Uh, um, you know, I, I think I had it easier because you know, having parented the girls and helping co-parent the girls, uh, right. um, learning more about parenting mm -hmm. from David. You know, I'd wanted to do this for quite a while, mm -hmm. and I think back and think. You know, I probably would have been a, a fine parent earlier, mm -hmm. but being older and having had that example and having learned those lessons with David and the mm -hmm. girls, mm -hmm. I think there weren't really many surprises. And Eric was an easy baby. Everyone says that. My baby's an easy baby. Mm -hmm. Eric really was a, a pretty easy baby. I think. Not all three of mine were easy, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, with us, because of just the way that we live, for instance, Things are pretty, I won't say regimented, but, but pretty scheduled. I mean, mm -hmm. you know what to expect when you're part of this family. Mm -hmm. And so with him, he was just on a regular schedule, and mm -hmm. we understood his schedule, and we understood what we needed to do as far as caring for him, mm -hmm. you know, for his basic needs. Mm -hmm. So uh, th there just didn't seem to be a lot of surprises. It was, it was more of... You know, once he started sleeping through the night, which he did at six weeks, thank heavens, <laughs> um, you know, we just fell into a regular routine. So I would say it was probably less painful for me than it may be for some other new parents. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I think one of the advantages of a gay couple is you don't have gendered uh, role expectations. Mm -hmm. And so we just needed to divide up who's doing the midnight feeding, who's doing the 3 a.m. feeding, those kind of things. I remember us talking out. And um, Bruce uh, struggles more with sleep than I do, so we decided <laughs> he would take the earlier midnight feeding to allow him to sleep, and I would take the 3 a.m. feeding. And mm -hmm. so we had that kind of division of labor, mm -hmm. and we sort of fell into a routine, a pretty easy routine of how we divided up things. We already had a pretty clean rhythm for how to run a household and how to mm -hmm. take care of kids and who, how to get lunches prepared and how to, you know, get kids out of the door for school and those kind of things. So having a, another child for me was no big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think even for Bruce, like he says, it wasn't like kind of this earth shattering thing because he had seen enough of the routine of just the triplets being with us, mm -hmm. you know, getting them to school, getting them to events, getting them to their activities. Mm -hmm. And it's just a different age, an age point. You know, you're getting them to daycare, you're getting them to doctor's visits, you're getting them to whatever. And so we were able to divide that up and or share it as much as possible. And I think even now, you know, um, Eric knows what to expect. So, you know, we go to bed around the same time and we do the same thing every night. He goes to the bathroom and flosses, I brush his teeth, <laughs> give him his bath, you know, we go in his room, put on pajamas, um, he reads me a story, I read him a story, we say our prayers, I sing a song, and it's just the same thing every night. So, you know, we have a child who sleeps through the night, he's never woken up in the middle of the night, maybe once when he was one time, you know, and throwing up, but outside of that, we're just so, you know, 
there's a stability there. It's <laughs> 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 not boring. But this is the gay you know, life we're living. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but there, there's just a stability there that, right. you know, he knows what to expect. Mm-hmm. We understand what needs to be done to take care of him. And um, it, it just makes it easier. Mm-hmm. You obviously can look back to when the girls were seven. Mm-hmm. What's, how do you compare? Um, when people ask me that question, I think the biggest comparison is raising three versus one. Okay. So the kind of overwhelming kind of coordination that has to happen with three, mm-hmm. um, you get to enjoy a, a single child. I used to, when when I occasionally would get one of the triplets to get to do something with that one child, was such a kind of precious thing to mm-hmm. take them to McDonald's or some restaurant or do something with them as a single child. It was so rare mm-hmm. that I got to do something like that. Now I get to sort of relish in that he's the only one in the car with me. He's the only one, you know, going walking into school with me or whatever mm-hmm. we get to do in the morning. So I get to enjoy one child. That's that's the most significant difference. He's a much more active, verbal, destructive uh, <laughs> sort of child than, than the girls were. And I don't think that's to say that my girls were girly girls. It's right, just that yeah. Eric is very martial arts, violent, kind of, you know, kind of whatever. And um, it's just a different personality style. Um, but I don't want the listeners to think he's some kind of uh, outlier. He's not. He's actually a very good kid. Right. He's just a very active kid. And mm-hmm. so uh, you get to embrace that and get to know that. Um, uh, as a singleton, as we call it, mm-hmm. parents of multiples, um, we call those singletons, and so uh, it's 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 a it's a wonderful little gift to have one baby. Mm-hmm. It's a different dynamic. I don't get the same question three times usually, mm-hmm. but um, like David was saying, he's much more verbal. He will challenge you more than they would. They're very. I thought they were great kids, mm-hmm. um, and. You don't any longer. No, I think they're. But they're not kids anymore. They're not kids. They're these brilliant, beautiful women who have the world at their feet. And and the thing that frustrates me is I don't think that they either they don't know it or they don't believe it, but they truly are. Um, They're extraordinary. Um, You know, I think with Eric, he's just he will challenge you more. He will push you more. Mm -hmm. He's more. They weren't. You know. You tell them something, well, why? Whereas Eric is a, well, why? <laughs> and he'll keep saying, well, mm-hmm. but, but you I don't want that. that. But yeah. I don't want. So, you know, it's it's a different mm-hmm. dynamic. I don't know that I could handle three Eric's. Mm-hmm. Um, but having three kids who didn't challenge you as much mm-hmm. versus one child who pushes back, who's very, very verbal because he's used to being around, you know, adult parents and, you know, siblings who... Mm-hmm. Are Young you know articulate and, right. and speaking as adults? Um, it's just a different dynamic, and I think too with children now, the girls have some electronic savvy. Mm-hmm. He's off the charts. He's mm-hmm. teaching me things, you know, on my mm-hmm. iPad that I <laughs> didn't know it could do. Yeah. Even at three and four, he was doing things, you know, with our little eye touch. He's a very bright child. He's a very musically talented yeah. child. He's um, easily distracted. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a um, an active kid. He's a great kid. Now, you do have... Now, can you tell us, in your life, who were your influences? You know, I had incredible teachers who were so kind to me. I remember 
Um, one teacher, I had been a finalist in a writing contest, and mm -hmm. her name was Rowena Head. I think she's just wonderful. She's probably passed away now. She was older then. And, um, you know, she said, you're going to be a great writer someday. And I'm not a writer, but I enjoy writing. I enjoy literature. Mm -hmm. But that was that inspired me. Or, you know, it's the teachers at that school, I will say, you know, C.C. Cook Elementary School in Cleveland, Texas, you just don't know where you're going to find these jewels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had, you know, Beverly Talent and Rowena Head in, in mm -hmm. particular were two teachers that believed in me and inspired me and were so kind to me. And it seemed as though, you know, whenever I got to a point of, you know, I'm kind of not raising myself, but trying to come up with my own values mm -hmm. from a very early age. You were raising um, yourself. You know, but, you know, I, I want to give my mom credit. She worked very, very hard. She's just... Not a not a warm and fuzzy person, but she's a hardworking woman. Um, but you know these teachers, or Mrs. Mrs. Jones, who was a music teacher in sixth grade, and before I started going to the private schools, um, they were the ones who helped me kind of understand and and see that there was a different way to live. Because what I was learning was either some of what I was reading or seeing how families interacted on sitcoms, you know, <laughs> and that, that wasn't necessarily real life. So I would say I don't have someone with a famous name, mm -hmm. but I, you know, would love to give, you know, props to those teachers and specifically to, to Rowena Head, to Beverly Talent, um, to June Bascom, who actually passed away two or three years ago, and I was one of the few students who was able to go to her memorial service. Um, just... There, you know, we talk about it in our faith that, you know, the the number of people that you save, you'll have that many stars in your crown. June Bascom's head is just going to be so heavy because <laughs> she's this incredible woman, you know. Um, she's actually someone, because we didn't have a lot of money, but um, I was in the bell choir and also took violin lessons from her. And I didn't have to pay for those, so I, you know, I said, well, how are we paying for my violin lessons? Oh, there's a scholarship program in the community. And I don't think there was. I think she recognized that this was something that I needed to be away from home to have these different experiences. And so she was giving me free lessons. Or when I bought my violin, I, and I still have it, I had it restored, this beautiful violin, a, a Stradivarius copy, um, for $100. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how did I get this violin? Oh, there's a scholarship program. You know, but I, but I was able to play this own and own this beautiful instrument and, mm -hmm. you know, receive these lessons. And she actually would drive me home after school because my mother wouldn't come. We lived about 15 miles away from the school, and she wouldn't come to pick me up. Mm -hmm. So this teacher would take me back home. You know, so I you know, definitely want to, you know, remember her. Um, and then in high school, you know, um, Vicki Tucker. Just I sometimes say, Vicki saved my life. I love, love, love Vicki, you know, because you're going through that awkward adolescent time. And, you know, I think... Um, in spite of everything, I have pretty low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I showed it necessarily outwardly all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but she helped me understand that I was this, you know, a talented musician. And mm -hmm. and also as a writer, she was an English teacher. I think when you go to these small parochial schools, the teachers mm -hmm. teach multiple subjects. And so mm -hmm. she was an English teacher. And some of the things that I would write, she would write inspiring, wonderful notes. So mm -hmm. I would say that teachers have influenced me, have saved me, mm -hmm. um, have been incredible to me, and, you know, hopefully I can give some of that back. And at one time I thought I would be a teacher, and I'm, I'm not a teacher anymore. I'm, I'm a computer nerd. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you talk about inspirations, mm -hmm. those women in particular are just 
amazing, amazing people, and I don't know that I would be, you know, the man that I am today if it weren't for them. Mm, wonderful. Wonderful. That's a lovely story. <laughs> I don't have anything like that. <laughs> I don't have the wonderful stories. I, I um, you know, just in reaction to Bruce's story, teachers were actually very instrumental to me, too. I had a teacher that told me I could be a president um, one day, and I remember just being so moved by that. Um, and so Claire Loop was her name, Miss Loop, um, was very influential to me. I had her for both first grade and second grade, and she taught me that I really could be outstanding, that I could go mm. a long way, and I remember believing that, that I was smart, and mm. I was could could be a president, maybe a college president. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that that is true, actually. So. Which might be more my true. path. Um, I, I, don't, um, I don't have people that I know that have been real role models for me. I like to read, and so when I became that ferocious reader during that time, I, I would read people's survival through adversity, and so though I had a very privileged upbringing, um, my whole coming out was such a hard time, for, hard time for me that, you know, finding books by Michael Piazza and by Mel White and others that had, you know, kind of showed me a light through uh, keeping a Christian faith and being gay and being okay and being a dad and mm-hmm. all those kind of things. I was never more raw and needy mm-hmm. than, than at that time when I came out because mm-hmm. it was so very difficult for me because I didn't have mm-hmm. role models who told me you can be a godly man and a, mm-hmm. a Christian man and a gay man. You mm-hmm. can't bring these roles together. So my role models came through my reading mm-hmm. um, and that was very influential to me uh, to 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 somehow capture my faith again mm-hmm. and my um, just kind of my new life because I mean in many ways 90 I often tell people like 98% of my world was Southern Baptist my friends my everything mm-hmm. was Southern Baptist and to come out and to lose all of that and be told you're going to hell and that you're no one's your friend anymore and blah 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 you know mm-hmm. you, you kind of are at, you're at the starting gates again mm-hmm. trying to figure out who and what you are and I had to sort of create this new me uh, I remember my mother asking me if TCU was going to fire me that I came out. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, Mom, they're really not. They're very inclusive. We even have domestic partner benefits. And I don't think we actually had them at that point. But, mm-hmm. you know, we were in the mm-hmm. process of getting them. And um, So I, I don't have a lot of remodels. Bruce and I actually have joked. Joke. We've watched so many kid movies. <laughs> One of the more recent ones we watched um, is Finding Nemo. And Nemo's good friend is the voice. The Ellen plays the voice, and Dory. the fish Dory keeps saying, "Just keep swimming, just keep swimming." And that—that's sort of my role model: is just keep going, just keep swimming. That um, it'll work out. You'll figure it out. You'll get some more information. Somebody will reach their hand out, or you'll find a new door opening, or something. And that's sort of our our joke that we we just keep swimming, you know, mm-hmm. that though people may not accept us as a interracial couple or as a gay couple or as gay parents or whatever, they want to, you know, not mm-hmm. uh, include us or celebrate us or whatever, we're just going to keep swimming, you know, mm-hmm. so that's sort of our model and that's why I, tick, I got tickled when I thought about you asking about role models, that, you know. <laughs> A fish. <laughs> 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 but I wanted to mention too. So there's another person that you know. And so we couldn't afford piano lessons when I was younger. I, I played the piano, you know, before I had lessons. By so ear. I kind of learned to read music, and I can play by ear. Um, but there was Dorothy Hinkle in Cleburne, 
gave me piano lessons for a dollar a lesson. That's mm-hmm. unheard of even back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's just these people who are kind-hearted and who give of themselves that really make the difference. It's not necessarily, maybe for some people, it's the famous people. That is so absolutely beautiful. Now, how about the interfamily dynamic? So ours is not a gay thing. It's more of a race thing mm-hmm. uh, in my family. And with you, it's just a family that was never close. And we have both sort of surrounded us ourselves around people who we love and adore and want to be around and our kids. And so if you ask family who's really close, it's my sister. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the blood family that's the closest to us. Mm-hmm. Well, it's game time. Welcome to the Fork in the Road. According to the yogi in our SVL series, we're all on a journey. Some take the winding road. Sooner or later, each traveler will come to a fork in the road and there make a choice to continue on or to turn back. You have come to a fork in the road. There are two paths in front of you. One path is called Redo. The other path is called Reboot. What will you do? you're going to have to face a choice. But turning back is a redo and a re-embracing of the old or something like that. I don't know. But before we move too much further, I need to know how you're defining reboot and redo. So I think of them differently. So I think reboot is you're starting over, but you're going down the same path. You have that same expectation. So when you reboot a computer... You're rebooting that computer, but it's still just to get be, it still moving forward. Well, you're just getting it restarted, right. so it's still going to be the same program with the same information. Okay. Whereas redo is rebuilding something. You're making it different yeah. than it was before. I want to reboot. I don't want to redo because I don't want a new. I like what has happened. I like what is going on with me. I want to keep going on my path and start fresh or whatever happens with a reboot. I, you know that better than I do. I just think if it sort of cleans it up and makes you ready to... <laughs> cleans up the memory. Does it wipe it out? Well, not, there are different types of memory, but okay, I would say, yeah. you know, so it's basically rebooting is giving you a fresh start, but on the same path. I like that. Whereas redoing is making different choices to me. I don't like to live with the idea that I've made bad choices. Okay, so, so I might do some differently. What about you? So we can reboot. What about why would you say that? No, the same. I you know, I think about that sometimes and you know, it's more of if I didn't 
go down the path that I went down, even uh-huh. though there may be different choices I would yeah, have made. Sure. There also the joys may have been different, or may have not had some other opportunities, and I like the joys and the opportunities that I've had. So, okay. So I'm I'm good with a reboot. Not Me a too. Redo. I am too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce and David have decided that they will travel down the reboot road. Also traveling this route are a snake, a tiger, and a shark. Depending on your destination, According to the yogi, on this day, you will have to deal with at least one of these and do so safely. If you are heading to the destination called Faith, Friends, and Family, you will have to travel with a snake. If you are heading to the destination called Health, Wealth, and Happiness, you will have to ride the tiger. If you are heading to the destination called Peace, Love and Tranquility, you will have to swim with the shark. What is your destination and how will you get there safely? Life of Pi. So you know, in theory I'm not, but uh we I don't do snakes, so so there will be no snakes. But I you know, just kind of thinking about the you know, the the three different choices, I mean even the the health, wealth and happiness choice mm. would be the choice that I would make Me too. if there weren't any animals. nasty <laughs> animals at all. Um, That's exactly the same one I chose. So, so thank heavens that one doesn't have the snake. <laughs> then I'd have to reconsider. Um, but We have to ride on a tiger. We'll do all of us on one tiger. We each ride our own tiger. What kind um, of snake? <laughs> Poisonous snake? Yeah, they're all dangerous. Oh, okay. right. So each family member has to ride on a tiger. That's I, I can handle a snake. If I if we're talking about survival, the snake is by far the easiest thing to handle. I know you're grossed out by him, but I can totally see myself handling a snake. You couldn't. Mm-mm. But the snake doesn't go to health, wealth, and happiness. No, it doesn't. Right. Only, only so I, I, I want to get to health, wealth, and happiness, so I'm willing to ride the tiger. Hell, my life's been riding the tiger. Been mm. much of it. So, um, how do you get there safely? You read the life pie. <laughs> um, you, you teach the tiger that you're you're the boss, mm-hmm. and that you are, you know, the that you are the the master the of, alpha. of. Well, you're the <laughs> alpha, but you're also the master of your own destiny, and that you're the master of his destiny. So I mean, your 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 family's well-being is definitely at play here. Yeah. So with any of the choices, there could be consequences. Um, you have shark. a bag for the snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the shark. I, I hate that option. Um, swimming with a shark. That makes me very nervous. I grew up with this movie Jaws, and I <laughs> <laughs> that visual where I 
you don't think of anything good. I mean, there's nurse sharks and there's not as violent sharks. They don't have to be, you know, all great white sharks. But I'm assuming we're going with the the most yeah. vicious, Fer- ferocious creatures. Yeah. Think about that. Um, but when you think about it, so it, it's kind of you know you kind of peel it back. It's those choices of what do you want out of life, and what obstacles are there that'll stop you from doing that. So there are obstacles in each of these. Is there an obstacle that's going to keep you from doing what you truly want to do? So that middle one is the one that you truly want to do. Mm-hmm. Is the tiger enough of an obstacle to make you not do anything or to make you choose, choose something differently? So I guess, and maybe I'm reading more into it than I should, but, Fine. you know, is, it, is this a, a, a question about, you know, what is my resolve mm-hmm. to do what I actually want to do? Well, what if we kind of warmed up to the tiger family and just figured out <laughs> what kind of tigers they were? So maybe they're docile, friendly. They love frosted flakes. <laughs> yeah, <on her>. exactly. <laughs> I'll go down that path. Flying fish. So, I mean, can we walk up to the tigers and get a sense of that and then look at the, 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 the snakes? Can we... Can we look at these? Because, I mean, I'm more than willing to to go a rough battle to get to health, wealth, and happiness or whatever. Uh, But I I am not willing to destroy my family on the way to that journey. Yeah, but each of us holding a cobra is going to destroy the family. Well, if a cobra... cobra, He said they're dangerous snakes. Right, but so is a, a, a king snake, and they don't scare me nearly as much as a, you know, cobra. Um... And you put them in a bag, and you, <laughs> you kind of get their get one of those grabbers. I, I guess I'm going from 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 a philosophical perspective. So I want what I want, and when you're talking about these concepts of what you want your life to be for the long term, and going down this journey, and going down this path, um, I'm going to try to get there no matter what. So I would have to find a way to get there, understanding that there are obstacles, there are dangerous things in my path, mm-hmm. there, there are challenges that I'll have to face, but I want that path more than I want to avoid a, a painful or dangerous obstacle. Whereas I think I hear you say that you want that path to, but not at the price of the destruction exactly. of because your family. If you think about the other choices, though, health, wealth, and happiness makes the the biggest ring to me, faith and family. I think was the snake, faith, family, and something else. Friends, friends. That those are not bad choices. Those are actually very good choices. So though I think I would have look at the path and figure out the tiger, I'd also be checking out that snake path because I don't think that's a huge loss of going down that other path of faith, family, and friends. Well, and you know me that I make a decision and I, I know you do, decision, and I continue so. processing until the cows come. That's just the way I do. Well, well the, the only the only the only job that you have now, which whenever you're willing to deal with, how you're going to deal with it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, can because we just kill it at the beginning of the journey? I'm asking you, <laughs> but, but remember, it says that you can't arrive there safely without a live version of that animal. Those are good questions. I'm just saying. Stuck in wearing those snakeskin boots. A tiger throw. Would the judge, for example, say that's not them? That's a that's a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. You know, you're I don't taking think it. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. 
Can yeah. we build a way to bring this tiger along, throwing meat forward to well, move him along? We're making some assumptions here, so we're making the you assumption. Have to. But I mean, we're making the assumption that this tiger is walking beside us. So right. I didn't ask the question, what? How am I transporting this tiger? Um, you know, what tools do I have to work with this yeah, tiger? Right. Do I have a chair and a whip, or do I have meat a cage to, on wheels? Yeah, it's your life. Things to keep right. him satiated. Yeah. Just to me, that's a cool, great thing. Is I don't mind. Roll him with the tiger, keep him full, <laughs> keep him where he's not eating meat, you know. And so, <laughs> well, I'm sure whether he's full or not, but I, you know, so I would say, you know, kind of, if I had some way of transporting this tiger along the path with me, and I had supplies available to make sure that this tiger was well cared for, but enclosed. Um, but still so, rolling along with us. So, so wouldn't the, the question be, I will but make that's, that that's happen. Too I, will make the, I will make sure I've got the ammunition, the food, the whips. The I would make sure I had it for my path. Make sure you've got what you need to control the But if it's just, tiger. you know, this dangerous animal leaving in and out. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. Either way, it's, you know, they're offering choices. So if you're saying... There is there is a chance that we will make it to our final destination. Then the path that I want to go down is that middle path, and if that has to be with a tiger, then there are certain tools, supplies, ways of transporting that tiger that I would need to accomplish that. Okay, so let me ask you the final question. So David and Bruce, you've decided that you have chosen the role, the destination of health wealth and happiness, which means that you will have to ride a tiger. How would you get there safely? It says ride. So tiger, if not we even bring a tiger, it's ride a tiger. Then I'd need a muzzle. I guess. <laughs> you know, if I have to sit on this tiger with a saddle or whatever, or I could, again, ride with the tiger. Prepositions are very important. So, you know, he's in a transport that's caged below and I'm riding on top and it's rolling along my destination. Then, you know, we can make that happen. So I, th I think there are, you know, there are other pieces to consider. There are other things to consider. So, you know, I think the, the first answer that probably pops into your head is, I need to train this tiger or I need to change the nature of this tiger. And you're not going to always have the opportunity to change the nature of it. Mm -hmm. you know, so there are choices of changing the nature of something. There's the choice of containing. There's the choice of avoiding. I mean, there are different ways that you can handle just like you handle different situations. You have to evaluate what's the best way to handle this tiger. So the two of you believe that you can, you can contain this tiger in one of these ways. I certainly am going to give it my best shot. <laughs> and that's um, what life's about. I mean, you either do it or die trying. You're not willing to die trying. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking of protecting my children. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it. Ride a tiger. Okay, well, thank you. I wish you health, wealth, and happiness. Thank you. To you and your family. So what would you do? What choice would uh, you make? Remember, you can check out our series at matchboxmystery.wordpress.com or at Rio Sports Radio at www.riosports.com. That's www.riosports.com. See you next week. <laughs>